Okay. Jeff, we are doing a surprise recording. We didn't... Surprise! Surprise. It's You're a little depressed right now. You were riding the well, last night. But yeah. you have second quarter feelings about the World Series game right now. Yeah, it's giving me anxiety right now. The Braves were up. They have a chance to win the World Series. Uh, this would be the first sports championship that one of my teams has won in like really in my my lifetime that i could remember the braves won a world series in 95 i was six so this is a big deal and they were up and then they weren't and uh ugly now and now i am stressed no it's okay we're just gonna take a step away just take a little step back from baseball it maybe maybe we'll get I think this will send a notification to some people, so we may get a couple live listeners, but just in the heat of the moment, you texted me and said, hey, I just want to get on right now, which makes sense, and I'm actually currently standing outside on a farm, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so it was good. It, it, it worked out time-wise for me as well. So let's kind of review what happened last night and what a thriller that was. Like, that was... Yeah. I mean... First off, I to those who are unaware, and we did get a couple shout outs on the Twitter machine, but I full I what percentage of the pie of responsibility for that comeback and really, you know, like just taking it to them in the second half of the third all throughout the entire fourth quarter, could we attribute to our Give em Hell Brigham game thread? One hundred percent. It was almost magical how it happened. Uh, for those of you who are not on the game thread, uh, the defense was doing the you know what the defense had done. Like we all watched that game. It was it was pretty bad, and they had just scored their one second half touchdown. And all of a sudden, we said on the Discord chat that we believe in the defense. We figured, I figured, hey, the defense. We maybe maybe some positive vibes is what this defense needs, sent into the cosmos that can really lift the spirits of the collective unit. We started to believe. Everybody on the chat said they believed. Whether they meant it or not, they faked it. And then immediately after, almost immediately after, Wayne Telepapa fumbles the football. It was like crazy how quickly after the belief the fumble happened. And, well, I think some people said initially, too, like, I believe we're going to get a turnover. And then it was yeah. like two plays later, boom. Boom. Right? And then we were like, and then it was iffy. And they were like, I believe this is not targeting. Boom. Not targeting. Yeah. And then, and then, we, then it happened and, again. The next drive. Yeah. We continue and, to believe. I believe that we're going to get a stop. Boom. Interception. So, and it, uh Everybody's talking about second half adjustments and more effort from the players. I think we deserve a lot of credit ourselves. I mean, we had a second half adjustment of our own, really in the third quarter, because of like most fans, there was plenty of shit talking happening around oh, yeah. the entire oh, defense. Yeah. And you, I mean, you've been hard and you took some of it public, right? And so did I. We were talking on Twitter about how there's a severe lack of scholarship athletes that were in the rotation. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, Having projects is fine, but you can't have projects and do the hockey subs because then your projects are still halfway incomplete and you need four more trips to Home Depot to get those suckers ready and you're throwing them out there and that's not a good yeah. combination against the top 10 defense or top 10 offense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we, we did make that decision to just, we chose to believe and there were many memes about believing i think a couple people put you know like the i believe gift from the book of more musical which was funny there were uh, many many eggplant emojis shared yeah that made me uncomfortable i, I mean you started to feel weird but i eggplant algier is is <laughs> ever since we started calling tyler algier eggplant algier yeah he, he, went, he, went he started going off yeah so I mean, if it's only stupid if it doesn't work. Well, right? it's it's the same energy as Big Dick Nick Foles, you know. Right. And or, uh, <laughs> while that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, he won a Super Bowl, so right. You do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. But I mean, let's kind of run back through this game. Firstly, I 
I've my heart goes out to Jake Oldroyd, um, just because for a number of reasons. I mean, obviously he's had his lingering back issues. We're obviously everyone fan is frustrated with the kicking game this year, himself included. He no matter how annoyed you are by the fact that he's like seven for eleven from field goals or whatever after being a girls of finalist last year, he he feels worse than you, right? Like there's mm-hmm. like there's um you know, he feels worse than you. He's more annoyed, but he's going to have to live with himself for the rest of his life that he missed a chip shot field goal. And that prevented BYU from dropping 69 points on their old coach. And that that's going to sting, right? Like he's going to look back 50 years from now and just man, say, man, it was almost nice, but I missed a kick. And, and our heart goes out to him for that. But, Really, though, 66 points, that is the most ever that BYU has scored against an FBS opponent since the 2001 game against Tulane. Uh, it was the most points. I mean, we did hang a 70 spot on against Wagner, but that's ne- that was a bottom-of-the-barrel FCS school, so we're not really going to count that. That, right? that doesn't matter. Um, but so most since 2009 against UNLV, and then 2008, 2008 against UNLV, or 2009 against UNLV and 2008 against UCLA both scored 59. Um, and then obviously, and then, but really, the 66 points was the most scored in a game since Cro- Gary Croton's first game when we scored 70. And even then, should have had 69 in this, really, even that second, that missed field goal should have been a touchdown because we got too cute at the goal line and we could have scored at the end. Like we could have legitimately dropped 80 on them. And well, that yeah. would not have been inconceivable. And that was the most points. There's some type of like comeuppance that just feels great about. The Bronco coming back to Provo and giving up, you know, he's the defensive coach and he is giving up the most points that he ever gave, has ever given up in a game ever in his mm-hmm. entire coaching career was against his former school. Like there's, you know, those are like, we were annoyed by the storyline of Bronco coming back and everything like that the entire week. It was obnoxious, but those little moments like that, like those little like universe lines, like you, somebody just got theirs, right? Like that is, yeah, that is what those are the types of stories that make college football great. And, yeah. and it was awesome. Like it was that second half. I mean, I don't know where this offense has been all season. Maybe all it takes is just playing an FCS Nick Howell coach defense, and it's real simple to put up that many points. But I mean, it, He's he's just bad, and, and listening to Virginia fans, man, it is it is like we all hopped in our hot tub time machine and went back to 2014. Yeah, it's, it's they, the exact same thing. They hate Nick Howell. Um, they think Jason Beck is a great quarterback coach. They're happy with how the offensive line is playing under Mark Tujay. Um, they are okay with Robert and I most of the time, but says he has his occasional head scratching moments. And then everyone is, they like Kelly Papinga. They love Bronco as the defensive coach, but they are tired and kind of feel like there's too many, I don't know what you call them, platitudes of, you know, just mm-hmm. too many self-help seminar type quotes coming from press conferences and they're the love affair with Nick Howell. Like it's, yeah. and I don't, I still don't understand. I mean, Good for Nick Howell. He's off making six hundred thousand dollars a year, and he's you know probably sitting. I'm assuming he's got some type of financial advisor. He's probably sitting on close to eight ten million dollars sitting in his bank account from riding yeah. that gravy train for the last decade since he got promoted from a graduate assistant to being the linebackers coach at BYU ten in 2010. But I his time can't his time cannot be coming. Right, long because it, it, I honestly feel bad for Virginia fans in a way because it's like Brennan Armstrong is an incredible quarterback. You have one of the most amazing offenses in the country that is extremely fun to watch, and it is all going to waste. And your quarterback just broke his ribs and maybe won't be able to play the rest of the season, depending on. I mean, how bad it is. is. That, is that not 2014? Like that is 2014 BYU to a T. Granted, that is it true. Later in the season. But that is 2014 BYU to a T. Sure. BYU was 4-0, and it's been Taysom Hill on the offense that have carried them to that record. 
everybody kind of saw the holes in the defense and everybody knew that the losses was coming. But Taysom was a stud. And as long as Taysom was there and leaving, leading the charge, you felt good about BYU. They got through four, arguably the like the toughest stretch, the toughest trio of games. Heading heading into season. Utah State, I remember yep. ESPN's FPI had BYU as the most likely team to go undefeated. Right. And then Taysom goes down, and all of a sudden, all of those holes and that, that crack and the foundation that you knew was the defense was exposed. And BYU loses their next four games, and Christian Stewart finally figures it out after that. The schedule lightens up a little bit. And they go out and they win their next few games, which great, whatever. We all know the story, but remember the feelings that you felt. That is exactly how Virginia fans feel. And they're making it very, very clear. They're making it very clear. And a lot of a lot of BYU fans too kind of, you know, say like, oh well, Bronco took them to an orange bowl. And it's like they were like ranked number twenty five and they only went yeah. to the orange bowl because Clemson went to the playoffs. Like they didn't really get their way into the orange bowl. Right. Yeah. Like it's they sort of fell ass backwards into the Orange Bowl, which right. is great. That's the benefit of the ACC. Right. But they didn't really get to an Orange Bowl. Right. And, and, and it's an not. Right. And like two, two, three years from now, hopefully we fall ass backwards into a Sugar Bowl after we have a couple losses. And it's like, oh, well, we lost Big 12 championship game. But, oh, well, like, you know, Oklahoma State or Baylor's in the playoffs. So it's not that bad because yeah. we're in the Orange Bowl. Or we're in the Sugar Bowl. It's a very, very nice consolation prize, but it is not the same as or anywhere. What they did was nowhere close to Boise or Hawaii or Utah running the table and busting the BCS or what Cincy, UCF, Houston, or Western Michigan have done getting into an yeah. AR6 game. Yeah, it was no, nowhere nothing, near that. Nothing like that. Uh, I mean, moving into the game, there's a lot to unpack. And, and the win... The win can make people feel, I think, maybe better than we should. And so in my mind, I want to break this up into two real sections, right? That there's the bad feelings, the, like the reasons for concern, and then there's the good feelings. And, and the good feelings, I, what, let's address that quick. We'll start with those because it, it's really simple. This was the toughest nine-game stretch to open a season in BYU football history. Yeah. And BYU is 7-2. They're ranked 17th. They're probably going to be inside the top 20 when the college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday. Uh, they're certainly not going to be in contention for a playoff spot, and, and as much as we'll want to make a storyline about a New Year's Six bid being possible, probably not. But they'll be ranked, and that's great, right? That, that, that's huge. So there's a lot to be thankful for, a lot to celebrate after that win. They came back, they're 5-1 and one against P5 teams this year, 2-1 against rivals. Never won more than three P5 games in a season. This yeah. is, according to sports reference, this is the toughest season in the history of BYU's football. Or, or sorry, they, their fifth toughest schedule, but obviously the best record, and it's like this schedule... You know, and it can still go up depending on, you know, if a couple other teams went out, then their rating will kind of go up. So it, it's yeah. a top yep. five, It's one of the top five toughest schedules ever it, with no breaks, not just in, and I think it honestly might be tougher because even like 2013, that was a really tough schedule. We had an amazing defense, we went eight and five, but the, the buy was at like week six. So we could kind of recoup and then get back into it. But this is like, right. this has just been gut, like long, right? Like 10 freaking games. Without yeah, a single break, that. we've had we've won two games with backup quarterbacks. We've had you know deep, multiple defensive starters go out. We had we lost our we lost our best corner the friggin' second series of the season, and he's done for yeah. the year. Like with their for everything that we have complained about the lack of scholarship talent in the program, especially on the defense, and how there's too many projects to working with the team has rallied, right? Like there is... Yeah, they've done well. They have rallied, and it's now especially... And you look at the rankings today, right? Like coming out 17 in the AP poll. And it's, you know, that's basically... Okay, had we beaten Boise, which, you know, that was three fumbles, right? Like offense played good, defense played good in that game. It was three fumbles cost us that game. And now looking a month removed now almost from that, you know, really had we beat Boise, maybe we move up to like eight or nine, but then we lose to Baylor the next week. We maybe drop to like 
17, 18, like we're kind of right back where we were maybe two or yeah. three spots where we would have been. Like it's yep. where the, the team has shown enough at that we now have the clout. And this is, I kind of talked about this randomly with like Coastal Carolina, right? Like that Kirk Bowles um, put Coastal Carolina like number nine or 10 or something in the country, even though like after they had lost a game or they played someone bad or whatever. And it's like, they G5 schools do not get the benefit of the doubt because nobody pays attention to them, right? So like UTSA, it took them getting to 8-0 before they even got ranked. And then now they mm-hmm. moved up seven spots off a of bye just because people are finally like the hype machine of social media saying, hey, everybody look at UTSA is kind of forcing voters to come to terms with that. And yeah. then... um and then yeah. the um but with other G five schools now, it's like with us, it's like we coming off of last year, now we kind of get that benefit of the doubt and it, the strength of the record really paves into that where it's you know, you say, Hey, there's um, you know, you say, Hey, like they've played six P five schools with no buy, like we're big enough name now and there's enough national narrative around us that the writers are looking at it saying, Oh, that Boise game, yeah, they dropped that, but that's not that bad of a loss. Like it stings, yeah. but it's a rivalry game. There's it's the a, excuses are made, right? Right. The excuses are made, and you say, hey, well, three fumbles, especially where they happened on the field, they really like they outgained them, they outplayed them in every facet of the game, except for three freak plays. You take one or two of those away, they still probably eke out a win. That's fine. Yeah. Right? Like, and it's and so it's we get past the record. We're we're past the program is now at a point where. We are past just the pure record of, okay, well, let's look at what could actually happen. And, and it's, okay, well, Baylor, they knocked off Texas. That loss to Baylor is actually not that bad, right? It's like, okay, Baylor's going to go probably toe-to-toe with Oklahoma for the Big 12 championship. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. Okay, oh, they beat Utah. Utah's controlling the Pac-12 South now, even though it doesn't mean much. They're still going to, oh, they beat Wazoo. Wazoo's in first place in the Pac-12 North. They beat Oregon. It's going to be Wazoo and Utah. So now, and then you look at Utah State. Or Boise, either one of those teams could win the Mountain West, and then Virginia still has a shot at the ACC. You're looking at a scenario where we went three and one against conference champions. That's that that means something, right? And yeah, so it's great. The overall strength of the record is very, very good. Maybe the best ever in terms of like just the flow. I, that frustrating at times. I, this might be the strongest record. I don't because, think there's any doubt. I think it is without question. The strongest record. Uh, you you look at the resume, and I think it is, and that's that's cause for celebration. Tyler Algier is cause for celebration. Like, oh my gosh, what an insane football player he is, right? Um, Jaron Hall, he's thrown for three hundred plus three out of the last four games. Like, the dude looks settled. He looks healthy. He looks. Great. I wish he would have got like three more yards because he was close to going over four hundred total. Yeah, like he, he finished at like three ninety seven because it was like 349 passing and 48 rushing or whatever. Yeah, he was huge. Uh, so so lots of things to be excited about. And we're, we're going to talk about those things uh, on our weekly show this Wednesday a little bit more in detail because, I mean, Garrett, let's be honest, how, how much pregame are we really going to do for Idaho State? Probably not a lot. I mean... With all due respect to Idaho State, they're what one and seven playing a third string quarterback. We're not gonna we're not gonna spend a lot and, of time. And and then there's the bye, and then there's Georgia Southern, who's one of probably the bottom five, ten or fifteen worst FBS yeah. teams. Yeah. So so we'll get into into that later on. Um, let's talk about some of the bad. We mentioned it uh, right to start off the show that hey look everybody had some complaints right everybody and you and I did something that we don't typically do. We we kind of went public with some of our complaints, right? Like we kind of complained on Twitter and made some of the things that we've talked about on various channels, whether it be our Discord server or 24-7 or, or even just amongst ourselves. We, we started to show a little bit of that publicly out, out of the open and, and namely uh, singling out I'm going to say, I mean, I've talked a lot about Ed Lamb specifically, but really it's because he gets the credit for the Ed Lamb recruiting philosophy, right? Like everybody talks about that. There were articles in the Des News about the Ed Lamb recruiting philosophy of find the athletes, find the projects that have the right measurables, blah, blah, blah. And so are we singling out Ed Lamb? I don't think so. 
Uh, yes. But but he, <laughs> I mean, kind of. But he represents, I mean, for better or worse, right? Like he hasn't gone to bat saying it's not his recruiting philosophy. So when somebody calls it the Ed Lamb recruiting philosophy and he says, okay, what else, what other choice do we have? But the I mean, philosophy... also, also um, my good friend, Andrew Idy that I played with and went to high school with that played for Ed at SOU and then followed him to Provo and played at BYU yeah. said, yes, I was one of those Ed Lamb projects. And it is true. So, so let's talk about it. So the Ed Lamb recruiting philosophy, if somehow you don't know, it's stars don't matter, competing scholarship offers do not matter, what matters is, and really, frankly, football experience does not matter. The idea in, in, in this philosophy is that if you have the right measurables, meaning you're the right height, you have the right length, and you can run really fast, then... Ed Lamb and the defensive coaches. It really is the defensive coaches. Everybody outside of probably Gennaro and Coach Clune, I'm going to say, have this belief that they can develop anybody who has the right measurables and the right combine stats into being a football player, everything else notwithstanding. And it works sometimes, right? It works with guys like Chris Wilcox. That, that, that's going to be the first thing that everybody points at is, look, look, look at Chris Wilcox. Yeah, that was great. And Ed Lamb had Chris Wilcox. Even Kyra, Kyrus Tonga, like, he didn't have too many offers. He was just freaking big and strong as hell. Uh, he had more. He didn't have any that were reported. But uh, going back to his Granger days, like Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, there were a handful of Pac-12 schools that, that caught on to Kyrus late that I don't think that it made it to the internet but anyway uh yeah chris wilcox like and and here's my whole thing with this philosophy is ed lamb had chris wilcox singled out while he was at suu he was on him for months and months and months and months and then when he got to byu he knew he still wanted him he knew he had something special and so we brought him in and yeah lo and behold Chris Wilcox was great. He got drafted. He was special. He was somebody who fell through the recruiting services cracks, right? Like, we, we as a 24-7 collective body, we missed on him. And that happens. That happens every class every year. But it doesn't happen all the time, and it happens less and less frequently with each passing year as, as we get more coverage, more eyes, more exposure for these kids. It happens less and less. And what's happening on... A, a, at BYU on the defensive side of the ball is that there seem to be more and more of these projects that are coming into the program. And I, I have to be very clear when I say this. I don't have problems with any of the individual players being part of these signing classes over the last two, three, four years. None. My issues are the number of projects that are being brought into the program. Right now, over the last three classes, BYU has given 40 scholarships to defensive players. 40. 24 of those 40 players did not have an addition, like a P5 offer to choose from. 21 of those 40 players did not have any other FBS offers. Any. So that is, for all intents and purposes, that's a walk-on, guys. That is 21 out of 40 guys. Their only scholarship offer to choose from was BYU. Now, are there the, the occasional guys that they, they love BYU, they committed on the spot, shut down their recruitment, that was their dream school, and they would have picked up more offers? Sure. But they're 21 of there's those not guys? Tw- no. No, there's not and, 21. Let's say in the first. And the frustrating thing with those is BYU is so cheap, and push come to shove, most of those kind of, you know, guys, it's like mo- the average, your run, average run-of-the-mill LDS family can afford to go to BYU one way or the other. Either they are affluent enough because for the most part we're middle upper middle class and can afford the very cheap tuition. Or if they are not in that category, then they will qualify for a pilgrim, which will cover everything. And now we also have built bar on top of it. So it's right. That's yep. the frustrating thing is it's most of those kids probably would have even tried to come to BYU as a regular student had they not gone anywhere, right? Because even if you're looking at you know, FCS can offer partial scholarships. So if a kid's looking at SUU, Dixie, or Weber, then BYU still might be cheaper because right. once you go all in, or it's like, okay, well, yeah, they gave me, Weber gave me 500 bucks a semester for books, but I can just go walk on in Provo and 
it's worth the extra 500 bucks to me because of the quality of the education difference. Right. And so, and so it's the, and really with the projects, right? Like if you get to a junior senior, right? Like you kind of look at what, kind of look at what Peyton Wilgar's, you know, evolved into, right? Like you get to that stage, then it makes sense. But the, the biggest problem with it is your projects are very, very green. If you don't have like, there's a difference between you have a few projects, they develop into something junior, senior year, and their backup is a three-star kid a who's, a, player, who's, a, right. who's a freshman who chose BYU over offers from Colorado State, Utah State, Arizona, and, you know, Cal, yep. right. right? You know, like, you know, basically like a D'Angelo Mandel type or the versus, oh, here's a kid that we were his only offer and he started playing football his senior year of high school because he placed second in the 100 at the state track meet as a junior and the football coach said, hey, come try out. So some real world examples, right? Um, somebody, and, and first two, two different sections here, people have pointed to, to some players like Chris Wilcox and been like, Jeff, you're, you're being unfair. Uh, the Ed Lamb philosophy has worked. Okay, well, let's, let's talk through this, right? The Ed Lamb philosophy... Uh, also, at the FCS to- level, the Ed Lamb philosophy is 100% exactly what you should be doing. Like, no, I've said it, but it's like, yep. it was 100% the right thing to do at SUU. So the Ed Lamb philosophy, people have pointed to D'Angelo Mandel as a guy. Like, hey, without Ed Lamb, he's not here. One, false. He's here to play for Gennaro Guilford. Two, he had an offer from Vanderbilt out of the SEC. He had a handful of Mountain West Conference offers. That is exactly the kind of guy that I think BYU can fill their roster with, is guys that have those low-level P5 offers, Mountain West offers. BYU can go and get those guys. They've got to recruit their balls off, and they have to win. They have to win recruiting battles, but they can get those guys. So Mandel doesn't count. He doesn't fit. And those guys can still be developed, right? There's plenty of guys, like just because somebody has a, you know, their only offers are from Fresno State or New Mexico, that doesn't mean they're also still not falling through the cracks and not someone who can be a developmental project. Like you don't need to go for the guy that has zero offers. You can take the guy. It's like, Oh, well I think, okay, there's a little something here. At least a couple other people think there's something too. And we can still take that and work with it and build like, I mean, D'Angelo Mandel kind of, you know, he has improved greatly and has become one of the better corners in recent memory for the BYU. But yeah. So here's, here are some real world examples from previous classes, right? 2019, BYU signs George Udo. And I, I know it feels like I'm singling out Udo, but this is the first one that popped up. By signing George Udo, they backed off of Sione Vaki, and they backed off of Kaulona Makala. Would they have signed Kaulona Makala, who ended up at USC? Maybe not. But could they have signed Sione Vaki, who's on a mission? Absolutely, yes, they could have. They would have had to push, but that's an LDS guy who grew up wanting to go to BYU, and BYU backed off entirely. They hardly recruited him at all. Going to the next class, right? Uh, they offer a scholarship, and it's a gray shirt, and it's a mission. And so like on the surface, it looks like you're pushing the, pro- the problem out, so it really isn't a problem. Ty Burke. Ty Burke gets an offer from Syracuse. I like Ty Burke. I think Ty Burke could be a great player. But by offering Ty Burke... They backed off of Scotty Edwards, who ended up at Stanford. Is Ty Burke going to be better than Scotty Edwards? I have no idea, right? Like, they're both similar. They're both 6'1", about 180 pounds. Maybe maybe Scotty Edwards is a bust. Maybe Ty Burke ends up being great. I, but I, I have to believe that once you start doing it in mass, and, like, we can go through. These are two examples. I could go through in every class and point to three or four or five. I have to believe that the coaches at Stanford, that the coach, that all of the talent evaluators at Rivals and 24-7 Sports, I, I've seen Scotty Edwards play. I've seen him at camps. I've seen him in pads. I've seen him in a number of different places. And I've seen Ty Burke a lot. Scotty Edwards looks like he's going to be the better player. And everybody who watches the two of them play would agree with that. Scotty Edwards maybe doesn't come to BYU. But by backing off because you got a commitment early from Ty Burke, or you got a commitment on the spot from Ty Burke as soon as you offered him, or you picked up a guy like Dean Jones in 2020 and you backed off of a guy like Nick Session, maybe Nick Session ends up going to Oklahoma State anyways. I don't know. But they didn't give themselves the chance because they took Dean Jones, got that early commitment, and they moved on. And then they stopped recruiting Nick Session after that. And on the field this year, 
it doesn't matter, right? BYU is seven and two, and that's the the first response that everybody has to say. Well, look at the record; the results speak for themselves. No, they don't, because the results this year are largely being driven by guys like Lopaleatawa, Lorenzo Fawatea, Peyton Wilgar, who is a project. Like that's the, none of this is to say projects are bad, but he they did it the right way. He was a walk on who earned a scholarship. Right. He didn't get a scholarship from the jump. Uh, Max Tooley, Keenan Peely before he went down. All of these guys who were listed as sophomores or juniors, redshirt sophomores or juniors, I think people are making a mistake in assuming they're all going to come back because they have eligibility left. Most of those players, this is their fourth year in the program. Could some of them come back? Yeah, they probably will. But like Keenan Peely... He, he's already been in the program for, he went on a mission and he's been on the program for four years. He could have his degree and maybe he needs to come back and show that he's healthy, sure. But he could easily go to the draft. Max Tooley, has, this is his fourth year in the program. Um, uh, Lorenzo Fawatea, this is, I think, his fifth year in the program. Tofa, fifth year in the program. All of those guys, a lot of those guys, all of those guys potentially, but a lot of those guys are probably going to move on from the program after this year's over. Why? Because college football is a grind, and let's go try it. Give it a shot at the NFL. We're not going to be a first-round draft pick no matter when we go out. So let's go out now. Maybe we'll make a practice squad, put some cash in our pockets, and away we go. You move on with life. Zach Daw, right? Bracket L. Bakri, that, that They had eligibility. They could have come back and maybe improved their draft stock. But college football is a grind. And we saw against Virginia a glimpse into the future that because of injuries to guys like Chaz and to guys uh, like Keenan Peely, Keenan Ellis, because of a few injuries, we're seeing those projects have to be on the field right now. They have to be. And it was ugly. <laughs> that second quarter was maybe the worst defensive quarter ever in BYU football. That was yeah. terrible. I can't find... I'll have to go back and look through my database of games to see how far back I don't just have game scores but have actual quarterly scores but we will be hard pressed to find another game where we give up 35 points in a quarter it was terrible and so that's where my my concern is coming from right now Chaz Ayu could easily leave this program one he's been in the program for four years I think he's going to be close to his degree but two uh the guy's been toyed with right he's changed positions he's been all the things that we talked about last week he could easily transfer and then you have to go to the guys who are playing behind him, the, you know, the Morgan Pipers, the Jacob Borens. That is no disrespect to Morgan Pipers and Jacob Borens. But they become the starters next year, and who's behind them? Like, there's not scholarship talent there, right? When 21 out of 40 scholarship players over the last three years for the defense don't have a single competing offer to choose from, that means you're, you, you've got walk-ons starting and walk-ons who are backing them up. Those right. projects, do you, you want to talk about why there's been so many missed tackles? The easy argument that we try to make is that, hey, uh, if you're at the college level, you shouldn't have to have those basic fundamentals taught to you. But when you deal with projects, that's absolutely 100% what you have to do. You have to. Because those guys aren't just naturally gifted or haven't received that training or whatever it is to just be ready-to-play, plug-and-play type players who can tackle and they have to learn scheme, but they already have the football skills. These guys have to learn the football skills. And that's yeah. the problem. And going forward, because all of those scholarship players from the classes of 2014, 15, 16, and, and even 2017, because those guys are now getting older and they're moving on from the program, They could, I think people are going to be surprised at how many of those names that we look at the roster, we see sophomore or junior this year, people are going to be surprised at how many of them move on from the program. And when and, they do, oof. And, and it's going to be bad. And there's already, fans are already displeased with the defense. And so they, and really that entire defensive staff is hanging their hat on, and you know, kind of betting their jobs on all these projects. And... It, it is risky and really push come to shove going forward going in, being in the big 12 there is absolutely zero reason to do that and, and like you said right it's, None. in i mean you went through and tallied up and it's like the average defensive scholarship player that we have right now had like an average of like 1.3 total fbs offers right right and so it's you know that's a problem 
Like we are not New Mexico State or UTEP. That should never do that. Like everybody that we recruit should at least be close to getting an offer. I mean, maybe you have guys, like you said, that's like born and bred BYU. They shut it down. You have a handful of those of every class. But if a school like Fresno or Boise, Houston, SMU, if they're not talking to those guys, that's that should be a major red flag. You know, you have a couple yeah. projects, right? You have a couple rounding out your class that you're like, you know, the Michael Davis types where it's like, okay, this dude, he has some work to do, but he's 6'3", and he can run a 4'3". Let's, you know, right. we, we can take a flyer on that and see what we can do with him, but we're not expecting to throw him in his first year on campus. We're going to redshirt him. Right. We're going to get him in the weight room. We're going to teach him some things. He's going to run on the scout team, get a lot of reps, going to pack 25 pounds on him, and then we'll see what we can do. But going forward in the big code, it's like, you can't do that and play this mm-hmm. schedule like this every year. And it's going to, you know, it's, there's going to be an even bigger drop off. And so the recruiting strategy on that front, just point blank has to change. And it's really that, and I don't know, I mean, maybe we'll see some type of shakeup in the off season. Um, I think Kalani in his post game presser last night did say that some people needed to uh, respect Elias Tuyaki more. Um, and I think, a lot of people are reading too much into that um, because I think really what he was saying is you kind of guys don't really know what you're talking about and there's things, but people were making it reading into that in terms of him sticking up for his coach as a person as wow, saying, as saying, oh, I'm very happy with the way the defense performed and the defense did a great job tonight. Like he didn't I, say that. Like, I, don't I get, had a like, conversation with somebody earlier this week talking about the external pressures and, and, Take that for what it's worth, right? I, does that mean boosters? Does that mean Tom Homo? I, I don't know who that means. But that was just this week, earlier on, like Wednesday. Somebody who is as connected to the program as anybody that I know. And he said, the external pressures that are telling this defensive coaching staff they need to play more man coverage are getting louder and louder and louder. That is what Elisa Tuiaki is talking to. Or what, what, what Kalani is talking to when he says... Because what did we do? Because what they did we do? Man, that was ugly. Got beat. And you ran man, got beat, did to what everyone says they hate. You're like, oh, we hate this. We never, which I just want to give a shout out again to everybody who watching on TV can tell exactly what we're doing. When I see people say, we never disguise coverages. I don't know what channel or what feed you're watching on TV, but if you find one where you can actually see what the hell the defensive backfield is doing on every single play, I want to pay for that because you have to have all 22 film that's not available to anybody else. Bro, I, I would love, I mean, the average casual fan that wasn't tuned in and, and probably isn't a listener of this show and wasn't tuned into the Discord channel or 24-7 or wherever it be, if I said that to the average casual fan that for most of the game it was uh, Hayden Livingston and Javel Brown playing safety, I don't even think they would know who those players are much less how they were or were not disguising coverage. Right. But but here's the thing, right, Garrett? And and people also, to just sorry to interrupt, also to the people think just like that playing man is like this end-all be-all, as if it's like, oh, well, if you can play man, that magically fixes all your defensive problems. And that's like nobody ever plays zone because zone, like zone is what you do when you can't keep up. It's like, no, well, if you play man, you're not going to be able to stop the run as well because your receivers don't have to block. If you're playing man, if your corners are playing man, your receivers can just run downfield. They don't even have to block. And then now you open up the edges of, okay, okay come run right over here. And, right? And it's like zone. When you yeah. play zone, you can watch the quarterback. When you play man, you have to watch the receiver. And like, there's a reason even Alabama, well, Alabama pattern matches everything. So basically they their entire defensive Look backfield right. is it's like an RPO of yep. man versus zone. And so there's just a set of rules. And on every play, every player, depending on the alignment, has like three rules of – are you playing zone or are you playing man to prevent a situation where you have like four verts against a cover three and you have the safety sitting there saying, uh, I can't cover two guys 30 yards apart at the same time. We're screwed. And, and we do some of that too, right? Like we have, you get in your alignment, you have a simple rules and it just tells you, are you running with this guy, even if he crosses the field or are you sitting in your zone or following the next guy into the zone, whatever. And it's, that's pretty much what everyone does. So it's, the we need to play more man is funny because pretty much on every play at every school in the country, if certain things happen, there will be rules to check into playing man coverage because you know 
that you won't be able to pass them off well, or you'll end up with two people on one guy in a huge wide open part of the field. And sometimes it happens because people miss those cues, right? But it's when you think of offense, like you think of offense, everyone talks about the RPO, we're like, oh, everyone's running wide zone, outside zone heavy, you know, run schemes, everything, you know, it's like everything is going from gap to zone on running and everything is an RPO in the past game and all this stuff. Defenses are doing the same thing. And it's like the evolution of the defense is also happening, but nobody talks about it because you can't see it on TV. And because it's reactionary, it's not as easy to say, this is exactly what they were doing because they're reacting. And so it's harder to tell, were they doing this intentionally or did someone just make a play or did they screw up? Like it's a lot harder to watch the defense and say, this is exactly what they were trying to do. The, the last point I want to make just about talent and, and the concerns that I have for the future, not so much against Idaho State or Georgia Southern or USC, but for against Oregon in 2022 and against Oklahoma State in 2023. The class of 2019, Garrett, I want you to keep track in just a running total as I run through these names of the number of non-BYU offers that oh, defensive gosh. players in the class of 2019 had. Caleb Christensen. Zero. George Udo, zero. Dimitri Gallo, he had one, but he's no longer with the program, so he doesn't count. Javel Brown, zero. Kate Albright, he had a handful. He had, uh, it looks like he had three that were reported, but he had more. They were just all P5s. So we'll, we'll say we'll give him five benefits. And he is also likely a medical retirement, still TBD. Uh, Michael Daly, zero. Brooks Miley, one. Bruce Mitchell, zero. That's the defensive class of the class of 2019. If Kate Albright does not play, that brings the total of one from Brooks Miley. To Utah State. Okay, class of 2020. Oh, wait, I can't. Okay, so that's a half. <laughs> class of 2020. Okay, Josh Wilson, zero. Uh, Micah Harper, he had 12. That was a big Alex, People, People big. underappreciate Harper. Yeah, well, because he's been gone. Alex Muti, zero. Uh, Miles Davis plays offense now. Jacques Wilson had two. Okay, you've got Bodie Schoonover, who had, I think, five, and Tate Romney, who had eight. That's great. Tui Lai, zero. Ace Kafusi, two. Logan Peely, zero. Preston Rex, he had a bunch of Ivy League offers. I don't know how to count those. Like, they're not technically FCS, but they're Ivy League, right? And then he had Utah State. Uh, Dean Jones, zero. Josh Larson, zero. John Nelson, zero. Ty Burke, zero. Drayson Havea, zero. Lingy Havea, zero. Isaiah Perez, one. Mac Aloisio, zero. Like, you get the point, right? These are the guys who are going to be the foundation of the defense when BYU enters the Big 12 Conference. And then the guys behind him are the ones in the class of 2022, who fortunately they flipped Ice Moa, right? But Noah Moiaki's going to play, he's listed as a linebacker. He's going to play tight end. Jared Kalama, zero. Micah Wilson, zero. Canada DeVries and, and uh, Braxton Feely, like they're kind of carrying the average for everybody. Uh, Feely had, I think, six, and DeVries had two. Leotai Kinney Kinney, zero. Micah Kafusi, zero. Cooper Ross, zero. Brooks Jones, zero. Caden Chittister, zero. That's the problem, right? Like, that's the issue is that in the class of 2016, 2017, Chris Wilcox had zero, but he was one. And in that class of 2016, he was surrounded by absolute stars like Troy Warner, Handsome Tanielu, Max Tooley, Drew Jensen, Keenan Peely. Keanu Saliapaga, right? Like Jackson Kafusi. He was surrounded by guys who were heavily recruited, who everybody wanted. But the way that this Ed Lamb recruiting philosophy has evolved over the last few years, it has become the defensive recruiting philosophy. And I am very fearful for what 2023 looks like. Because the guys that BYU signed last year, the Raider Damunis and the Logan Fanos and the JHDs, they're going to be just fresh off. I guess Logan, Logan's here now. He'll be back next year. But most of those guys are going to be just fresh off of missions. They're not going to be ready to go. And so BYU will be relying on this 2019, 2020, and 2021 recruiting classes. And they're just, there's just too many projects. There's way too many. 
And that, combined with all of the other things that we've talked about so far today, that is why I have very, very, very large reservations about the future of the BYU football defense. And I think the offense is in great hands. The offensive staff is incredible. The talent that they're getting there, they're hitting, you know, they're finding guys that are still obviously your BYU. Yeah, You're going to have to take some at, projects, but right. Like, look at the wide receiver room as the like shining example, right? Neil Pau is a project. He was a walk-on. Nobody else recruited him. And he is a very big part of the offense. And so is, uh, you know, so was Dax Milne last year, right? But if those guys went down, it was it, it's scholarship players who were flanking them, right? Like it, it was it's Gunnar Romney, it's Puka Nakua, Samson Nakua, Keanu Hill, all of those guys, Cody Epps, all of those guys had other offers. All of those guys had options. So yesterday, Gunnar Romney cannot play. And yeah, you've got Neil Pau, and he's he's incredibly important to this offense. He's one of the best players on the offense. Tyler Algier is one of the best players on the offense. And you can rely on those guys. But it's so much easier to rely on those guys when you have the safety net of Puka and Samson and uh, Cody Epps and all of those scholarship players who are very, very talented as your, as your catch-all, right? So the offense is in good hands. Uh, Harris Lachance was a project. He can go down and you can throw in a guy like Joe Tukwafu who had offers from Utah, Utah State. Like You could throw him in there and feel pretty comfortable, right? James Empey goes down. Connor Pay is one of those guys that he only had a BYU offer if he would have not committed to BYU. UCLA was knocking on his door. Utah was knocking on his door. Three-fourths of the Pac-12 was ready to offer him. Like, you had that there. It's so much easier to rely on projects when you have talent as a safety net. But when it's projects that have to play and they have to succeed, and if they don't, it's additional projects behind them, Ugh, it's just setting yourself up for for some really, really tough growing pains. Yeah, and I wonder if those external pressures that you were mentioning, right, of, you know, to play more man and try to be more aggressive, right, if, you know, really this all, this comes back from, I think, if we see, if those external pressures, if we will see any changes on the defensive staff, obviously we saw some last year, right? We saw... Preston Hadley moved down to, he was pulled off of the safeties and pushed down to the defensive ends. Coach Clune, Kevin Clune was added as the linebackers coach and Lambs moved back to the safeties. And, you know, but this Ed Lamb as, you know, this kind of, this heavy coverage scheme, this recruiting philosophy of going pure measurables, that was what he did, you know, at SUU. And where is kind of he came from, and I understand like Ed Lam came in as the assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. It's like, yeah, you're going to coach a position, but really you're going to be here to be alongside Kalani to help him through the learning curve of all the admin stuff of being a head coach because it's different. There is a jump, and I think it made sense and it was really smart at the time. But I wonder, I mean, last year too, we also saw Elisa Tuiaki interview at the Montana State job, then ended up taking him, but he was out there interviewing. There's people knocking down. There are people that are interested in the Elisa Tuiaki is a very respected coach, but I wonder if we see some of those external forces maybe push out some of the other people on that defensive staff. Yeah, I, it makes you wonder, and, and I do know this, that, that Kalani is an aggressive guy. His defensive philosophy is to be aggressive. Like That isn't just me saying that because Utah was aggressive when he was there. That's something I know for a fact. He wants to be more aggressive. The aggressive defense, the aggressive nature of the defense that you saw the first couple of games of of the season were because Kalani was heavily involved in game plans throughout the offseason. But once the season comes, you have to rely on your coordinators and your assistants to do that. And, and, And we've seen progressively, the defense get progressively more basic. Right? And some of that is because More of injuries, right? If, if, if you don't have yep. Chaz and Keenan Peely then, and Lorenzo Palatea, yeah, yep. that makes it tough, right? You lose, you lose and Keenan Ellis, right? It's like you lose a guy or two starter at each of the three thing levels of the defense and you've got projects behind them. Now you got to basically run a prevent. And, and that's what's so telling. I, I mean, I think you just you, you hit the nail on the head without even knowing you were hitting the nail on the head. Oh, I knew, I knew I was hitting it. it was, I was <laughs> swinging. I'll give you credit. Uh, yeah, you lose Keenan Peely. Keenan Peely had a bunch of scholarship offers. 
You lose Chazza, he had a bunch of scholarship offers. You lose Lorenzo Fowlty, he had a bunch of scholarship offers. Like these guys that everybody, everybody, I think everybody would universally agree are huge losses, are the ones that everybody wanted. Tyler Batty had multiple P5 offers, right? Like he's a guy that everybody thought would, would turn into BYU's J.J. Watt this year. He had a bunch of scholarship offers. I, I, I just don't, I, I can't wrap my head around not recruiting talent. I just can't. And I, I keep hammering it home because it just does not make sense to me. The Braves lost, by the way. It's official. So. Oh, well, I ruined my night. If they throw away this series, um, I think we might have to, it will be Wednesday night would be game seven. And if they're, oh, I don't know. I, you people might need to send me care packages because I don't think I'll be able to leave the house. I'll have to take a look at our uh, operating account for the show, but I, I think <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> we, we can get you something. Uh, but we do have, I mean, I just looked and we do uh, happen to grab, we happen to grab like six listeners in here. Oh, hey guys. So, uh, shout out to our live listeners. Um, the, you know, this is a, one a lot longer than we wanted originally planned to. We this is the first show where we legitimately we had zero agenda whatsoever. Not one. We, we always None. our main show we always have an agenda. The firesides we usually kind of at least have the notes of like back to the like here's our main points that we wanted well, we got to a, ask. We got a skeleton, right? It's just kind of like yeah, okay. Here's we want to make sure like we want to make sure we talk about turnovers, right? We want to talk about you know main things are like okay yes the 35 point quarter but then for the rest of the other three quarters we only give up 14 points completely shut down their offense like right and it's you know we talk about those things and we kind of just have the bullet points of here's the main things about the game we want to, but it's more so of a reminder to ourselves in case the contract gets off this was just solo this was this was jeff and garrett in the wild <laughs> impromptu unfiltered and kind of unsolicited. Down it wasn't solicited. Nobody wanted this. Uh, it but wasn't. It wasn't uh, downtrodden because I mean, well, I guess maybe on well, Wednesday we can go. We can go the about really talking. Yeah, that's true. And they had to lose to the Astros. That makes it even worse. But uh, the, you know, we're downtrodden about the defense, but really the offense. So right, like we got Jaron Hall. I mean, l- let's go back to the positives and wrap this up. Well, hold right? on before we before we do, I do want to just point out one thing. Okay, only seven second and a half points, which is wonderful. The first drive for Virginia was a three and out. Great. Good. Uh, the second drive was a touchdown. Bad. The third drive was the fumble, and that fumble came after like three missed tackles on a single run. So it wasn't like it was great. They we just put a hat on the ball, right? The second or the fourth drive, rather, um, was an interception on the play after the quarterback broke his ribs. They were driving prior to the ribs being broken. Let's not forget We had that. a couple pen. We gave him a couple first downs off penalty. Sure. On, that yeah, draft I mean, be that as it may, they were moving the ball, right? And then the, the, the final drive, the fifth drive, ended up being a turnover on downs, but not after, not until after their backup quarterback moved him inside like the 35, 30-yard line. And I mean, granted, it was prevent defense and desperation mode, but but still, backup quarterback. So I think that the stats kind of tell a better story than what the defense actually was on in, in the second half. And I know people are going to disagree with me and say that I'm just being a hater, but I think if we look at the defensive FEI game ratings, like for just one game or for just that one game where turnovers are kind of counted as as luck, right? I, I think we're going to see that, oh, yeah, the defense still wasn't all that great. Yeah, and, and Brian Fremo probably has updated. We can go look. He usually updates it on Monday. Um, and and with that, too, even going back to the defense, right, of kind of wanting to play more man, right? Like, it is it is exhausting to play man, right? Like, it's oh, the, yeah. if playing man is just so easy that you just do it, it's like, why does nobody else besides Press Virginia, you know, play the full court? Like, why do you not play a full court press? the entire game in basketball because it's exhausting. It's funny, it's, it's funny you bring up basketball because I do feel like so much of the, oh, if we could just play man, everything could be good, is rooted in like everybody's pickup basketball games at the church. This, Why do honestly, all of us fat Mormon white dudes play a 2-3 zone? Because we're fat Mormon white dudes. 
but if we were like in shape and athletic, we could still play. We could still play man defense. Football's different, <laughs> very right. clearly. Football's different, right? And it's when you're playing a zone, right? You you have to run like a third as much. And so, like, yeah. if you were the like that was part of and even what Colin talked about last time, right? In the second quarter, part of that onslaught was they were going fast. They're pushing the ball deep. You're trying to play man, and your guys are exhausted. You can go, and usually what teams will do, and a lot of teams, you'll see receivers come out where it's like, hey, if you're running a nine, where you're just you're running a streak, or you run any type of deep route, and you're the receiver on your sideline, you sub out. Like, and you just say, hey, you go, and you just want a fresh guy in there who's just running deep every single play to exhaust that corner, because th- that corner, if they want to sub him, he has to go all the way across the field, and they have to get someone all the way over there to come, and he creates a matchup issue. And so when you put yourself in man, you are opening yourself up to that more. And so it is a lot more risky. It's not just like, oh, well, we have someone who can run with them. Yeah, any any of our corners, they could run with a guy in one-on-ones in practice all day. When you're standing in line, you're getting fresh, whatever. But against a team like Virginia, where they're pushing the ball deep every single play at a fast tempo, that's really damn hard to do. And mm-hmm. that's why nobody really does it, right? Nobody really tries to play man against them because it's next to impossible to keep Mm -hmm. your guys fresh running when they're cycling fresh guys and you're having to run 40 yards, get back to the line of scrimmage, run 40 yards, get back to the line of scrimmage. It's really easy to get tired. Maybe you get tired. Maybe it's not even physically like you start, your legs start burning. And then when we talk, when we talked about, right. When in your pattern match, whatever you're supposed to be doing, you make a bad decision because you're thinking about how you're huffing and puffing. Like it's not even necessarily that your legs are too heavy to keep up. So your brain gets foggy. You make a mistake and then they pop you on one. And that's what we saw happen, right? Is yeah. like we got tired. And because you, it requires a lot more physical thing. And it's not just a matter of like, oh, well, the strength and conditioning needs to improve. It's like, there's a reason nobody does it all game, every game. If it was that easy, everyone would do it, but they don't. And, mm-hmm. but back to the offense, we'll get to some positives. The offense offensive line, the offense looks great. Jaron Hall is everything that we expected. He fully looks healthy. He's throwing the deep ball well. He's hitting, everything accurate he's being he is not a running quarterback he is a quarterback who can run like he is doing everything he needs to do with his arm and then being very selective and very smart right he is he's taking deep shots at good times and putting the ball where only his guy can get it he's taking he's taking off with the ball and running when he feels comfortable to he's not taking unnecessary hits he's sliding he's getting out of bounds when he needs to he is doing everything right and people don't kind of really appreciate it. Like other than Zach Wilson last year, Jaron Hall is having the best season of any quarterback since Max Hall. Yeah. And yeah. It's, so do not compare junior number two overall pick Zach Wilson to Jaron Hall getting his first amount of extended playing time since 2016 when he was a senior in high school. Like that's not a fair comparison, but mm-hmm. you look at where Jaron Hall's season right now is, and against the talent and the defenses that he's done it against in the history of every BYU quarterback, and he is having a phenomenal season. So yeah, if there's anyone who has complaints about Jaron Hall, especially now that he's healthy, ribs are mostly healed up enough that they're not bothering him. He has taken, uh, last week was the first week, I mean, that he didn't have the shoulder brace on. Like he had the shoulder brace on for both Boise and Baylor from the separated shoulder. That's healed up. He's moving. I think he's got like a little KT tape or whatever, but that's nothing. Um, and he is, Jaron Hall has been great. He's just a sophomore. I don't know how long, he's another one of those guys where it's like, how long will we actually see him? Um, it's true. <laughs> and that's something that like, we can't just look at, at rosters now and say, oh, sophomore, they'll be back. Like one, the emergence of the transfer portal changes the game. But two, uh, that COVID year makes it, everything look a little bit like fool's gold, man. And and you're going to see some people that have eligibility left that leave early. And they may not actually have a pro career. They just leave I, early. I wish they would have just advanced everyone. And then if they are a COVID senior who comes back, they give like a senior with a star, I, like an asterisk. I, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, it would make things a lot the easier. One guy, the one guy that I think I could see coming back um, would be Lopini Katoa just because we're probably Al, Tyler Algier is going to go like it unless something ridiculous happens, right? He's probably going to go. And I've I got back see, and forth, but his last two games, man, 
yeah he's he's back on the radar yeah he's back on the radar so if algier goes then you're looking and saying okay well we probably we got mcchesney or potty miles davis katoa's in his fourth year in the program we probably need to go get a grad transfer if you're going to go get a grad transfer might as well just convince lapini katoa who's been very reliable for you for the last four years and without the emergence of tyler algier you'd be very happy to have katoa's rb1 might as well just convince him to play another year. Yeah. Like I would, I would prefer to keep Lopini around versus going and getting a grad transfer because a bird in the hand is two in the bush. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And yep. so and for every Tyson Williams, you know, there's an Amanda Supa out there. Right. And so there's, um, so he's, yeah, he's really the only like senior that I could see coming back for that extra year looking at this but yeah the offense is everything that we it really was awesome to see like just going out and we really kind of the offensive line is really starting to gel and just you know i mean they've done it all season i guess when we needed to in the second half of the game it's like we've just started mm-hmm. wearing people down and that's you know for all the complaints people have had about strength and conditioning over the years right like the big uglies are ready to go and they're moving people in the fourth quarter when they need to and are taking yeah. control of games and it's not and, it, and it's not just like obviously Tyler Algier is Tyler Algier. He is great, but he's got holes and they're playing really well together, right? When you're running that zone, that, you know, when you're running that wide zone, run that zone heavy scheme that we do, it's, it's a lot of unison, right? It's not just, you know, waiting when we talk about like Algier being a one cut runner, right? A lot of that is because they're doing everything that they are supposed to together and he's trusting, right? It's, Algier is setting up the block, meaning he, the angle that he's running at is pulling linebackers into linemen. So right, you're playing the angle game of like the guard is running at an angle, Algier's running at an angle behind him, the linebacker's got his eyes on Algier, and Algier's trying to you know pull that linebacker in so the guard can get a hat on him, and then Algier can cut up underneath him, right? Like, and it's it really the running game explodes the way it has when not only the offensive line is playing well. And doing everything they're supposed to, but the running back is not is taking advantage of the holes that are there, but then also doing what like staying on the track where they're supposed to, not trying to be a hero, not trying to like, you know, you get antsy and you bounce outside, then you don't set up, you don't help your linemen at all. Right. It it is the linemen are helping Algier, and Algier is doing a wonderful job helping the linemen, and that is why it is working at a phenomenal, phenomenal rate. Like even even against the worst defense. Right, like the way that they were playing in sync last night, where he averaged over nine yards a carry, that's not gonna. That's probably not gonna happen against Idaho State, even because you know against Idaho State, just because it's like that is everything was in full, like every corporate synergy was happening. Mm-hmm. All yeah. the corporate synergies were happening last night, and it, it's really been awesome to see and really develop that identity because that is something right that Kalani wanted to do from day one. Back in 2016, was we want big physical linemen in controlled line of scrimmage, and and so it's finally great to see that we are doing that, and we're gonna do a hell of a lot more of it with Kingsley Sumataya hopefully joining the fold here soon. I sure hope so. Hope that happens this week. Um, this has been a longer show than we thought, but a good show. Yeah, it has so been. I, I, there's been a lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of hope. A lot of reasons to be concerned, but the gauntlet's over. USC doesn't look like what they are, you know, what they should be. It sucks that Drake London is out for the rest of the year. Um, I'm not upset that we don't have to face him, Um, but uh, if we don't have to face him, I'm glad we were not the ones that injured him, because you always kind of feel bad when you hurt somebody, but if if that's the cards, then that's the cards that is. So I'm, I'm not upset that we don't have to go up against him. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but overall, man, good show. This has been a great show. We will be back on, I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't know what my week's going to be like this week. It's got some things going on. Um, but hopefully hopefully we can celebrate a World Series championship on our next show. And that will be really awesome. It's, I, I don't, don't even... The Braves, the, they're not going to hurt you. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to let you down again. I'm no. feeling confident in this one. Uh, don't say that. The Braves will hurt you. I have been a Braves fan long enough to know that they 100% will hurt me. And if I just expect it, it hurts a little bit less. It still hurts. 
but a little less. Okay. Well, either way, the gauntlet is over. We've got an FCS game this week, a bye next week, Georgia Southern, and then what is probably going to feel like a home game in Los Angeles. It hit, man, it, Arizona feels like it was a week ago. And now we're already at the back half of the season with only three games left. Wild. Man, and I, and I do, I actually did have a couple people reach out to me. Um, I'm thinking, we are seriously thinking, if you are a listener from the Phoenix area, DM me or text me if you have my number. I'm serious about trying to get a group together to go to the guaranteed rate game bowl in Phoenix. It's a chase field. Uh, we'll get a give them hell group going and see what kind of group we can get or whatever, because there's a chance, there's a very good chance that we sneak into that bowl game. And even if we don't, it's going to be a big 10, big 12 matchup and tickets start at 25 bucks. So that's just going to be fun to go to anyway. Like it's going to be, you know, it's going to be like a, I don't know. It's going to be like a, Indiana and Oklahoma State or something like that, right? Or Wisconsin and Oklahoma State. It's going to be a fun game. And um, either way. And so reach out to me and Jeff. We will talk to you on Wednesday to celebrate the end of the gauntlet and the Braves World Series Championship. Yeah. And until then, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell.